Good morning and welcome. I want you to take your Bibles or your apps or whatever you read on, and I want you to turn to John chapter 2. John chapter 2. Now, if you don't have a Bible or an app with you, uh, feel free to grab one of the Bibles out of the back of the pew. And if you're not familiar with where John chapter 2 is at, uh, what I would encourage you to do is turn to your table of contents. You're going to find that the Bible is broken into two major sections, the Old Testament and the New Testament. You're going to want to turn and look to the New Testament. And John is the fourth book in the New Testament. So, so turn to that table of contents, find the book of John, and you're going to find, look for John chapter 2. Now also let me say, if you don't have a Bible at home, if you don't own one, please at the end of the service take that Bible out of the back of the pew and take it out the door with you this morning. We want everybody uh, to have a Bible at home that they can read and reference and study. So please let that be our gift to you this morning. Now as you're turning to John chapter 2, let me tell you a little bit about myself that I'm not exactly proud of, maybe. I, I get compliments on various things. I get compliments on my beard from time to time. Uh, I know that many of you are not big fans of the, the big bushy beard, but I love it. My wife loves it, so your opinion doesn't matter. Um, but I get compliments. I've got friends that would love to have a beard like this. I, believe it or not, I've gotten compliments on the shape of my head. As a bald man, that's a huge compliment. Because, let me be honest, I knew that I was going to go bald one day. I knew it was going to happen. It's a family thing in my, my genetics. And my prayer when I was younger, when I still had hair, was, Lord, when you take it, please let there be a good shaped head underneath that. And so I do from time to time get compliments about, you know, hey, your, your head is nicely shaped and shiny, and I'll take that compliment. I'll take whatever compliment I can get because, I mean, look at me. Uh, I'll take whatever I can get. But I will tell you one thing that I have never once, and I will never, ever get a compliment on, and that is my feet. I have the ugliest feet on the planet. My wife calls them hobbit feet. They're wide, they're flat as a board, and they're covered in hair. I have been asked, Chad, why don't, during the summer, why don't you wear flip-flops all that often? Because I don't want you seeing my feet, because they're hideous. They are ugly. And, and I'm okay with that. You know, I can wear shoes year-round and cover it up, and you don't have to know. And believe me, don't ask, I'm not going to show you. I actually considered, Josh, Pastor Josh and I t discussed whether or not I should come up here this morning and roll my pants up and take my shoes and socks off. And I thought, that'd be really funny, but it would be such a huge distraction because they're so hideous that you wouldn't hear God's word. So I decided not to do that. And you're welcome, by the way. But why am I telling you this? Why am I telling you this? The reason I'm telling you this is because today's passage actually has a really weird, interesting connection with feet. So, I'm sure you're curious about that now, so turn to John chapter 2. Let's read today's passage. As you're turning there, let me give you a recap of where we've been. We are in a series where we are going through the entire four biographies of Jesus. The four biographies are what we in church call the Gospels. They're the first four books of that section called the New Testament. And they tell the story of Jesus all the way from before his birth to after his death and resurrection and ascension. And so 
we are going, we're spending the next year just going through these four books. And so, so far we've covered his uh, prediction of his birth, his birth. We've covered some visitations that happened. We've covered something that happened when he was 12 years old. Uh, we've talked about him being baptized and being tempted and beginning his ministry. And today we're talking about what John tells us is the very first miracle that Jesus performed. So John chapter 2, starting in verse 1, read with me. It says, On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. And Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. And so they filled them to the brim. And then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, Hey, everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine, after the guests have had too much to drink. But why have you saved the best till now? What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. Pretty crazy story. I've heard this sermon preached, or heard this passage preached on a few times, but, but let me break down what's happening here. Jesus and his mother and his disciples have been invited to this wedding in a place called, in a little city, a little town called Cana. And so they go to this wedding, and, and during the wedding, they run out of wine. Now, this, in Jesus' day and time, in the culture he was in, to run out of wine during a wedding celebration was the worst case scenario wine in that day and time was symbolic of being blessed and so when a wedding which you want to have blessings on a new married couple when you were having a wedding and a celebration to run out of wine everyone would think oh no there's doom in store for this couple and so to run out of wine was horrible and so apparently what's going on is Jesus, his disciples, and his mother are kind of hanging out in the back for some reason. And they overhear that they've run out of wine. And so Jesus' mother, Mary, says, hey, they've run out. And Jesus looks at his mom and goes, woman, now listen here on, on this point. Children, students, do not ever call your mother woman. In Jesus' day and time, this was actually a term of respect and endearment. He's not looking at his mom going, woman. He's looking at his mom going, woman. But, but in that, again, that day and time, it was a term of respect. And, and so he looks at his mom and he goes, why are you involving me? My time has not come yet. I'm not, it's not God's timing for me to start this quite yet. And Mary doesn't listen to him. Mary looks at the servants and says, hey... You do whatever he tells you to do. Okay. So Jesus goes, okay, I got to do this. So he tells them, 
You see those six jars over there? There were six very large jars. They held between 20 and 30 gallons. They were probably made out of one solid piece of stone and had been carved out into these huge basins, huge water basins. Again, 20 to 30 gallons in capacity. They were empty at this time, and they're at the very entrance, the very, the very early part of the house or, or banquet hall that they're in. And Jesus says, go fill those up and then take what's in them and go give a sample to the, to the leader of the banquet, the, the master of the banquet. Now, what were these jars? You remember my, my beginning about feet? When you went to a Jewish wedding in this day and time, it was considered both a celebration, but it was also a holy time. There, there was a, a, a religious factor that, that was a big deal to them in this day and time. And so when you entered in to the facility that the wedding was being held in, you wanted to be religiously in right standing. And so before a wedding, you would have gone through all of the, the religious rites to make sure that you're in the right eyes of God, that you're, you're in good standing with God, but as you walked in, you would also physically clean yourself. Now imagine you lived in Jesus' day and time. Did they have asphalt roads back then or nice concrete sidewalks? No. Did they have closed-toed shoes? No. These people walked around all day, every day, in dirt. Uh, on gravel roads. Now, again, I don't wear flip-flops a whole lot, but if you've worn flip-flops and you've walked out in a dirt field, were your feet clean after you came back? No, they're disgusting. Basically, these water jars that Jesus just had them filled up, these were used by every person who walked into that building. They would stop before they walked into the main part of the building, and they would take their shoes off, their sandals, and they would wiggle their feet in the water and get all the dirt and toe jelly off their feet. I'm trying to show you how nasty this is. They would clean their feet off one at a time. And then they'd go over to one of the other jars and they would clean their hands off so that their hands and their feet were ceremonially clean. These jars are literally the nastiest vessels on the entire property. And that's what Jesus has them fill up. These jars that are full of dirt, they're not ever moved. They're solid stone. And so the bottom, the outside, the, the walls of the inside of these jars must have just been caked with the disgusting film from people's feet. And that's what Jesus had them fill with water. Now imagine being one of these servants. Just, just put yourself in their shoes for a minute. They, Jesus says, go fill those up with water. So they're well, okay. So they fill them up with water. Now take a sample of the water and go take it to the master of the banquet. The, can you imagine what the servants were saying? <laughs> That's going to be gross. Let's sit back and watch what happens because this is going to blow up. And then what happens? Not only does the master of the banquet not spit it out of his mouth... He stops and says, bridegroom. He leans over to the bridegroom and goes, dude, what are you doing serving the best wine last? That water that was placed in those disgusting, nasty, dirt and foot jelly jars 
was turned into the choicest, the best of wines. Listen to me clearly on this. Jesus has the power to change one substance to another substance. And he also has the power to change one person to another person. Jesus alone has the power to take our disgusting foot jelly nastiness and make us righteous in the eyes of our Savior. Jesus alone can do that. Uh, So here's my big idea. Here's that that statement that if you haven't heard anything this morning, I want you to latch on to this one statement and I want you to take it home and think about it this week. And that statement is this. None are too nasty for the newness of Jesus. There is not a single person on the face of the planet that is too undeserving or too unworthy for the salvation, for the rescue that Jesus provides. If Jesus can take a jar that's got foot jelly and dirt and who knows what else, and he can turn it into the best wine ever, then Jesus can take our messed up, nasty foot jelly lives that sin has ruined. He can take anyone's life and change it into the best of life for him. He alone can do that. You see, you and I are those nasty bowls. We are all sinners. Romans 3.23, we have all sinned. There's not a person on this planet except for Jesus himself who did not sin. Jesus alone was perfect. We have all sinned, therefore we fall short of the glory of God. Every single one of us. We are those jars. We are nasty when we are placed in comparison to the perfection of our Savior We are undeserving. We are unworthy. And so is everyone else. There is no one who is too far gone, who is too disgusting, who is too sinful, who is too unworthy for the salvation of Jesus. Everyone can receive it. And he can change us from one thing to another. 2 Corinthians 5.17 familiar passage if you grew up in church it says this if anyone is in Christ he is a new creation the old has passed away and behold the new has come Jesus can take our old nasty disgusting unworthy undeserving foot jelly lives and he can transform our lives into something brand new and hear me clearly there are people in your life who need their lives transformed like he's transformed ours if you're a follower of Jesus Christ you know someone there's someone in your life that needs this kind of transformation there are people all around us who are without hope who are defeated who are slaves to the sin that has grabbed onto their lives. And they need to be rescued. And the only rescue that is available is the rescue of Jesus Christ. The only rescue that's truly there, that can truly help them, is not found in anything in this world, but it's only found through the death of God's perfect Son and the shedding of His blood, that through that blood, through that sacrifice... 
our sins could be forgiven. The consequences of our sins. We could be rescued from those consequences. Because he died. And on the third day he rose from the grave. And then later he ascended into heaven. And he sits at the right hand of the throne of God. He alone can transform. And no one is too nasty for the newness of Jesus. How often... Do we look at people around us and we judge them when we're under judgment ourselves? You see, we desperately need Jesus all day, every day. We need his power. We need his strength. We need the guidance that he provides through his Holy Spirit. We need Jesus and so do so many people around us. But when we look at someone around us, And we look down on them because they're different than we are. We do disservice to the image of God in that person. There is no person that is too far gone for the salvation of Jesus. I've seen the worst drug abusers come to know him and their lives changed by him. I've seen people who had been written off by everyone in their life. And they came to know Jesus and their lives were transformed. Our lives, I hope, if you're a follower of Jesus, I hope your life has been transformed by Jesus and what he's done in your life. And we are the instruments that God uses to lead others to that transformation. That's why we're doing this Who's Your One campaign. That's why we're putting such a big emphasis on leading others to Jesus. Whether, again, whether it's by sitting down and having a conversation with someone after you've built a relationship with them and telling them about how Jesus changed your life, or whether it's building a relationship and saying, hey, why don't you come to church with me? And afterwards, we'll go to lunch and it'll be a great time, but I'd love for you to see my church and meet, meet my church family and let them hear the gospel and experience the gospel by the lives of the people in this church. That's why we're doing Who's Your One? So that you are not the only recipient of this transformation, but that you can then extend the offer of this transformation to the lives of so many of the people in your life. Can you imagine if you just picked one person in your life and they got saved sometime in the next 12 months and so you picked another person. But then that first person went and invested in someone else. You see where I'm going with this? The ripple effect of life change, of transformation that we can see happen through Jesus if we just intentionally begin building relationships and having conversations about Jesus with others. We can transform this community. We can transform this city. Jesus alone has the ability to take Scottsdale and Paradise Valley uh, and Fountain Hills and Phoenix and transform this area into a place of righteousness. God alone, Jesus alone can transform us. So here's my question. Who's your one? Last week I asked you one thing. I wanted you to spend the next seven days just asking God who your one is. And today I want us to do something. So I want you to take your bulletins. Everybody take your bulletins. There's an insert. Everybody reach down, pull that insert out. If you didn't get a bulletin or that insert fell out, raise your hand. I've got a couple of deacons that have extras um, and, and they can pass them out. 
Or you can write a name down on your neighbor's insert. Whatever you want to do, I'm fine with that. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do this morning. I want you to take that insert, or maybe your neighbor's insert, and I want you to write down the first name only of the person that God revealed to you about sharing Jesus with. Just the first name of your one. And here's why we're doing this. It's twofold. First, when you write down that person's name, you're committing to praying for that person and investing in that person so that you can intentionally have conversations with that person so that you can lead them to Christ or invite them to church so they can hear the gospel here at First Southern. Writing that name down does something in our brains that, that makes it concrete, that solidifies that commitment to do that. So I want you to write down just the first name. The second thing, the second reason we're doing this is all of these first names are going to go onto a prayer list. And I and our prayer team and our Wednesday night prayer group are going to pray for this list every single week by name. Every single name is going to be prayed for for salvation. That people will come to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior and something happens when we pray. And so I want the name of your one so that I and our prayer team and our Wednesday night prayer group can be praying for your one specifically. So that you will have opportunities to speak into their lives, to invest in their lives, and that God would give you courage to, to take the opportunities to share the gospel or invite someone to church. And that that person, you would have favor with them. And that they would be open to hearing about Jesus and the transformation that he can bring to their lives. No person is too nasty for the newness of Jesus. No one is that per too far gone. And so I want to ask you to do this. Write just the first name. And here in a moment... We're going to take up the offering. We're going to pass the offering plates. And what I want you to do is with that first name, and if your neighbor needs to write their name on your sheet, uh, go ahead and let them do that. But I want you to drop that piece of paper in the offering plate as that comes by so that we can begin praying for your person, your one. And we're going to do follow-ups from time to time and see how things are going with your one. But we want this to be the first step. We want prayer and commitment to be the first step that we take in telling people about Jesus and sharing the gospel with them. So, here's what I want to do now. We're going to move now into a time of response. So let me pray, and then we're going to move into a time of response, and we're going to pray over these names. So, so let's pray real quick. Almighty God, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you for what you've done in our lives. We thank you for your salvation, the salvation that can only be found in you. Lord, we pray for our one. We pray for that person that you have laid on our hearts, that you would give us favor with them, that you would soften their hearts and minds, that you would open their eyes and their ears to the truth of your gospel, the truth of the sacrifice of Jesus. And help us to have opportunities and help us have the courage to take the opportunities that you provide to speak into their lives. And to love on them in the name of Jesus. So Lord, we thank you and we praise you. And we, we lift all of this to you in the name of Jesus, our Lord and our Savior. Amen. Amen.